And we were in line waiting to purchase tickets, and I always go through and try to figure out mentally what's the cheapest way to get in, you know? And uh, so as I was figuring it out, I looked at family memberships, and uh, the family membership was only going to be a few bucks more, but they had a, like a cooperative program. One of the perks was a number of children's museums throughout the United States uh, were were cooperated with them so you could use that family membership at other places. So it's so like, yeah, we're going for it. We're going to save money. We want the perk. We want the benefits that come uh, with, with getting this. So basically at the price of one day tickets, we got, you know, uh, access to not just that museum that day and children's museum, but as a few other places uh, as well. And so, so, you know, we were all in on the perks. Now, uh, now, you say, well, why talk about perks on Sunday evening in Exodus chapter 19? And the reason I'm doing that is because God shares in our passage some perks, if you would, of uh, making a decision to do what we said was the most important thing and the most important verse in the entire book of Exodus. Does anyone remember what, those, that, what it is? If we were going to sum it up in three words. Okay. <laughs> okay. Close, close, all right? Look in verse 5 of Exodus chapter 19. Now, therefore, if ye will obey my voice. And we shared with you that it's not just here in verse 5, but quite frankly, actually, Exodus, if I were to ask, I said this last week, if I were to ask what's the most important chapter in the book of Exodus, most would say Exodus chapter 20. Uh, if I were to say, what is the most important verse? Some would probably, in fact, most would probably turn to Exodus 20 and look for the most important verse. But the truth is, chapter 19 and verse 5 is the most important verse because it doesn't matter if you have the law if no one's listening. It doesn't matter if you have the law if, if no one has the attitude that says, I'm going to obey what I've heard and what God says. In fact, chapter 19 is really the foundation for all that's to come because all the law was of no value without a people who were willing to say, okay, we will obey. And so uh, the challenge we, we gave you and the challenge we tried to encourage you with is that this is, this is what God said is most important. And we tried to prove that by looking at later Old Testament passages and, re, and, and sharing with you that when the prophets looked back to the law, they didn't say to the children of Israel, you disobeyed the Ten Commandments. They said, you haven't obeyed my voice. And so it truly is interesting that Jeremiah, remember in Jeremiah, I think it's chapter 7 or whatever, we looked at those verses. When Jeremiah talked about their disobedience to the law, he said, you haven't obeyed God's voice. And he re referred to chapter 19 and verse 5. So I contend with you that this is the most important verse, and those three words are the most important words, if you would, in the entire book of Exodus. And quite frankly... They're the most important verses and in, in words in the entire Bible. Because if you go through Scripture, it's not worded always that way. But ultimately, God's command from the very beginning has been, Obey my voice. God gave a command in the Garden of Eden. Uh, Adam and Eve didn't obey God's voice. Um, then we could go to, to Cain and Abel and you say, Well, God never shared with them the things they needed to know. Let me, God wouldn't hold Cain responsible if God didn't already tell them by his voice what he expected of them. And so one brought the right offering, one brought the wrong offering, and, and uh, they both faced, well, actually the one, the one 
his brother wrong? Am I my brother's keeper, you know? And, um, but uh, he disobeyed, disobeyed God. Obeying God's voice really is at the heart of what God expects uh, from us. So let's just quickly review what we shared in the first five verses because we only got through the first five verses. And we intend to get through the chapter today. Well, uh, we'll see what happens with that, all right? Uh, and you say, well, pastor, you didn't give us an outline. I know, and I only gave you the first three points of the outline, and I actually put them in the notes because I'm just a nice guy because we preached it last week. And we challenged you about verse 5 and just having this kind of spirit and life in you that says, I'm going to obey God's voice. So we share with you in the first three verses, and I, I, well, yeah, the first three verses about how Moses communed with God. And this was the beginning of his time where he spent, ended up spending 40 days with God in the mount, hearing the commands of God. It must have been truly an amazing experience and we know it was just from the, the things that happened and took place. Not, not in the sense that he came down from the mountain a couple of times, but uh, it just really was an amazing thing. When he came down, his face shone. He had been with God. He had been with God for days and it had a, an impact just on, on his, his body, his appearance. So much so that he had to wear a veil when he came and when he talked to the people. Uh, after after being up in the mount. It, it truly was an amazing thing, but he communed with God. And then we shared uh, the conduct of God and how he worked with the children of Israel. And that was, by the way, some of the perks that already had taken place, all right? They had already been shown. They already been real, revealed to, God, to the children of Israel. He um, judged the Egyptians. He bore them on eagles' wings. Beautiful picture. Brought you unto myself, this picture of how God just worked miraculously to take them out of this situation, bring them to himself. And then he gives that command in verse 5, look, obey my voice, keep my covenant. And if you will, here are some of the perks, right? Let's go ahead and pick up in verse 5. Now that I got you through the first, did I get uh, you through? All right, the conduct of God, he carried, he controls. And then, uh, and then the call of God, obey my voice. That was the first three points. And now we're going to look at the covenant with the people, the covenant God makes with the people, starting in verse 5. Now, therefore, if you obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. And the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with thee and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes and be ready against the third day. For the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves that ye go not up into the mount nor touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall surely be put to death. There shall not an hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount 
And Moses went down from the mount unto the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said unto the people, Be ready against the third day. Come not at your wives. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the nether part of the mount. And Mount Sinai was all together on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mount. And the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount. And Moses went up. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go down, charge the people, lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. And let the priests also which come near to the Lord sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. And Moses said unto the Lord, The people cannot come up to the Mount Sinai, for thou chargest us, saying, Set bounds about the mount, and sanctify it. And the Lord said unto him, Away, get thee down, and thou shalt come up, thou and Aaron with thee. But let not the priests and the people break through to come up, unto the Lord, lest he break forth upon them. So Moses went down unto the people and spake unto them. And that is all leading up to what took place in chapter 20 and, the, and the, what we call the great ten commandments that God gave to his children. Let's pray and ask God to help us. Father, as we uh, jump back into this chapter, I pray that our hearts would be stirred once again about the great command to obey your voice. Help us to have that kind of heart I pray that, that I would have that kind of heart, that your people, that each one in this room would have the heart that, to say, dear God, what you tell me, I will do. And may we just be willing to obey your voice in all areas and all ways when you speak. May that be our authority for all of life. And, um, and Father, if you just touch our hearts with that truth once again, I would rejoice tonight. And I pray these things and ask them in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me share with you real quickly what we've been, what we've been doing. I know I already went through the first three points, and, and I kind of just been speaking real quickly, I know. We're going to walk through the rest of the chapter, and, and we, we're just taking a look kind of at what happens in this chapter, and that's what we've been trying to share with you. The last point of the outline, we're going to kind of review and take some lessons from it because the Old Testament things that were written were written for our... Learning. If you haven't learned that yet, you've got to be, uh, we bring it out all the time, all right? So the things that were written in the Old Testament times were written for our learning. They were for our benefit. And uh, we're going to try to make a practical application in chapter 19 at the end. So let's look at what happens now. Starting in verse 5, after God said, obey my voice, he shares with them, as we introduce the message tonight, some perks, okay? Some blessings that come in addition to, look, it's just a wonderful thing to, to hear from God and have God's message. It's a wonderful thing to know what God expects and to know what God thinks and know what God desires. But, but here, the children of Israel are challenged about this, this call to obey my voice. And he says, look, if you will obey my voice, then here's what I'll do for you. And here's how I'll work in your life. And here's what I offer to you. So, so we have in verses 5 to 7 now the covenant God makes with the people. And he gives them the reason to obey. Uh, uh, him. Now, it's kind of interesting. 
Because in verse 4, he says, here are some reasons you should obey me. Verse 5, he says, obey me. Verses 5 and 6 and 7, he says, here are some reasons why you should obey me. It's kind of interesting. Verse 4, though, looks back and says, this is what I've already done. Listen to me. Now, verse 5, as he starts to talk about the children of Israel and give some of those perks we were talking about, all right, some of the benefits that come, these are things that God says will happen if you will listen to what I have to say. So this covenant with the people is, is wonderful. Uh, what, what is one perk? Well, they were going to get most favored nation status. Okay, I know. Now I know we use that in our terms today. Today, uh, that's uh, if you're part of the World Trade Organization, that's one of the perks, all right? You get most favored nation status. We won't go into yeah, all right. We're not going to go off on that subject. But in our text, obedience meant for Israel that they would be treated as people and as a nation differently than other nations. There is very clear. Look at verse 5. You shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. So God gave them really a wonderful promise, kind of an amazing promise. They weren't the greatest people. In fact, the scriptures talk about that. They weren't the most in number on the, on the earth at that time. They weren't a great and mighty nation. They were nobodies. In fact, they, they weren't, you know, they, they, they were really just, if you would, a tiny speck as far as the world was concerned at that time. But God said, look, I give you this command to obey my, obey my voice. And if you will, then I'm telling you something. I will make you a peculiar people to me, a very special nation. Um, and then notice this, verse 6, And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. These are the words which shall speak unto the children of Israel. So get this, these are the very words of God. This is God saying, okay, obey my voice. And if you obey my voice, here's what's going to happen. You will be a, a nation that is very special to me. That's one perk or privilege of, of, of relationship with God and obedience. And then the second perk, if you would, was the privilege of closeness to God, a people that are set apart to, to God like priests. Look, no one was ever offered that opportunity. No nation had been offered that up to this point. No people had ever been offered that up to this point. And yet that is what, was, what God was giving. And you know what's sad? Uh, okay, if you want to use it in the way we illustrated it at the beginning, they gave up the perks because the cost of the program seemed too much. And I know we look at Israel all the time and we condemn them, but the truth is believers do the same thing today. Sometimes we look at the cost of obedience, and there is a cost. Sometimes we look at what it takes for believers to obey, and we say, uh, you know, I'll obey God this much, but I don't know if I want to take that next step. And so the children of Israel, we know, made a commitment. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a minute. But... Uh, here, God is saying, here's what I want to do. And it's really sad that ultimately they gave up all that God offered. And what God offered was an amazing thing. Most favored nation status, okay? And then this kingdom of priests, a nation that was just precious to him like no other nation. What a, what a privilege he offered. All right, so what was the commitment of the people? Look at verses 8 and 9 as we've already read through the, the passage. What was the commitment of the people? People answered together. All right, what was their answer? Lord said, obey my voice. Here's what I'll do for you. Here's what I've already done. I'm asking you, obey my voice. So what was their response? Yeah, okay. 
We'll do it. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses returned the words. The commitment of the people is clear. Um, God gave them, the, if you would, the rules of membership, obey my voice. They agreed to do that, and uh, they endured for 40 days. <laughs> and you say, what? That's right, because when Moses came down from the mountain, what did he come down ultimately to do later on? Because they hadn't obeyed the voice of the Lord, he came to get rid of a calf that they had built, and they were worshiping. And, uh, and so it's an amazing thing, the commitment of the people. Um, I wrote this, Israel is not alone in a willingness to commit without a will to continue. A lot of times it's easy for us to say, yeah, sure, I'll obey God. But there has to be a, a will to continue. There has to be a will to say, okay, Lord God, not, I'm not just going to say that. I'm not just going to make some blank statement. I, I Lord God, am, am going to continue in this. I'm going to seek to be faithful to what I've committed to. So the commitment of the people. Now, uh, after that, you know what happens? In verses 10 to 17 that we just read, we read about the consecration of the people. That's number six in your outline. The consecration of the people. Okay, Lord, we'll do that. You told us to obey your voice. Here we are. We're making that commitment. Moses goes back, tells the Lord. The Lord sends Moses back down. Moses did a lot of hiking. Do you know, really, it sounds like he was going up and down this mount over and over and over and over again. At least when you read through this chapter, it almost sounds like three or four times. He's like, I got to think, yeah, Moses getting his, building up his, his uh, calf muscles or something as he's going up and down the mount to talk to God and then come back down to the people. But what's interesting is that, okay, the people said, we'll do that. And you know what God immediately said was necessary? Is that they would set themselves apart. And it's really interesting, but if you read through verses 10 to 17, we see the consecration of the people, that God consecrates the people. A couple things he shares with them. Uh, first, verse 10, he, he called upon them to sanctify themselves. Sanctification, I put down in my outline. Sanctification. God's going to meet with his people, but he has a demand that must be observed but he, before he'll meet with his people, and that is they had to be set apart. And my friends, I, I'm not, this was true of Israel and it's true even today. God will not fellowship with those who are dirty. Do you understand that? God will not fellowship with those who are dirty. He's a holy God and he's separate from sin and he will not fellowship with those who are, are, are not holy. Isaiah 57 says this, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble, to revive the heart of the contrite ones. And that's what God expects, and that's what God demanded. And it's interesting because God says, all right, make this commitment. And Israel made this commitment, and the first thing God says then is, okay, sanctify yourself. We're going to meet together. And if you're going to meet with me, you've got to be pure. So there was a sanctification of the people. There was a cleansing. And you know, we could read through scripture and I, and I don't have time and I want to kind of go off on a rabbit trail, but we're going to get back to it when we get to the last point. But throughout scripture, we find that, that God dwells with and God deals with those who are holy and those who separate themselves from sin and unrighteousness. 
If you want to write a passage beside this point, write uh, point A under Roman numeral, uh, what is it, 6. Uh, put Psalm 15. That psalm is challenging. It says, oh, uh, Psalm of David, it says, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? And the rest of the chapter deals with the kind of person that God meets with. And he begins by saying, He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. And then he deals with a number of other things, but ultimately he's talking about the ones that God deals with, the one that God works with are people who are sanctified. And it's, it's really interesting that after God makes this challenge to the people and they accept it, that the first thing God said is, okay, clean yourselves up. So we have sanctification. Then we have separation. In verses 11 and 12 and 13, God was going to come to the mount, but there was a separation and there were strict rules that had to be, reserved, uh, had to be observed in this meeting with God. And, um, and again, I, I want to go off and, and, and follow that. But it's amazing to me in how in Christianity, uh, Christianity has morphed into an organization that doesn't come to God on his terms, but makes God come to him on, on their terms. And my friends, it doesn't work that way. Those who enjoy God are people that, who come to God his way and come by his terms. And God said, all right, to the children of Israel, you, I'm challenging you to obey my voice. They said, okay. And God said, okay, I'm going to sanctify you. You need to be clean. And then I'm going to separate you. And I'm going to make rules and, and, and things that you need to obey. And you know what? At the end of the chapter, Moses had to, here we go, had to come back down the mount. Moses said, we've already told the people they can't come up into the mount. Don't worry about it, Lord. And the Lord said, get back down, Moses, because they're going to break through. And they just, they just have a problem with this. See, the children of Israel had the same problem, quite honestly, that's going on in Christianity today. We want a God who will come and meet our standards. And God says, no, you've got to meet mine. If you're going to enjoy me, if you're going to enjoy this closeness and this relationship, you've got to meet me where I am because I'm holy. And God doesn't, God doesn't change his standards so that you can be happy. And God, in this place, required that they be uh, sanctified, that they be separated. And then God also called upon them to sacrifice, verses 14 and 15. They couldn't have relationships. And God said, hey, look, this is just the way it is. Serving God is serious stuff. And I'm going to say it again. You can't come to God your way. You've got to come to God his way. And the people received the law because they did finally, at least here, come to God his way. And that is so important for us to understand. This, is a, this chapter 19 is such a challenging and powerful passage as it shares with us what God expects and what God calls upon us and what God expects and what God will do and then what we need to do. Um, now, in number seven in the outline, verses 18 and 19, as we're still walking through the, cha the chapter, we have some contemplations about God. In verses 18 and 19, uh, it talks about, by the way, did you notice some of the things like the trump and the loud sounding trump and it kept getting louder and kept getting louder? This was truly a fearful event. This was an awesome event because these people were being confronted with God. They didn't see God. We know that, okay, personally, if you would. But they knew it was God, and it was evident. And everything just pointed to a terrifying experience. By the way, someone who says, well, I had an angel meet with me, or I had a dream, and I saw this, or whatever. Look, uh, in, in most cases, any, anything 
to do with, with meeting with God in any way, shape, or form is a terrifying experience. Because people see God for who he is and as he is. And these people, uh, by the way, it's amazing that they even wanted to break through because the mo- mountain was smoking and the trumpet was blaring loud. And these things were all just picturing and, if you would, giving them this awe-inspiring picture of a holy God, a just God, a mighty God, a God far above them, who they had to respect and fear. And that is what was presented in verses 18 and 19. There is just an amazing picture here, of, uh, and, and, and it gives us some contemplations about God. It reminds us of the character and position of God. He is far above us. And the truth of the matter is if we are going to enjoy fellowship with him, if we are going to have communion with him, it's, it's going to be coming to him on his, by his standards, and it's understanding who he is and getting a proper picture of him. Moses had that. That's why he was able to go up into the mount. But these people, in any case, and the children of Israel didn't. You know, God is so high and lifted up, he stoops to behold the things in the, in the earth, Psalm 113 tells us. The glory of the Lord shall endure forever. The Lord shall rejoice in his works. He looketh on the earth and it trembleth. He toucheth the hills and they smoke. Those were the words of David in Psalm 104. I wonder if he was reflecting back on this passage of Scripture when, when God met with the children of Israel, the mountains smoked. Uh, it was just a picture of the awesome power and, and the awesome, uh, awesome picture of God. Verses 20 to 25, the Lord comes down upon Mount Sinai, the top of the mount. He calls Moses up to the top of the mount. Moses goes up, and the Lord says, go down. Here, Moses. All right, go back down, Moses. And, and again, Moses said, I, I already, we already told. Well, they had a charge for the people. The people were so fickle, God had to send Moses back down. They had been instructed to stay off the mountain, verses 23 and 24. But God knew the tendency of their heart, and he mercifully sent Moses back down. Because listen, my friends, if they touched the mountain, if they went into the mountain, they were dead. That's how holy and how just God was. And that was, by the way, how serious God took the standards that he set. You know, it really is. It's amazing how today we've, we, Christianity has made God so small. He's just my good buddy. And, and when you see God in the Old Testament, you see a holy, awesome, powerful God so far above the people. Not one that can't be reached, one who opened the door for people to have a relationship with him when he said, if you obey my voice, I'll make it precious to me. But we also, we cannot lose sight of the fact that God is a holy, just God, and no wonder that charge was given to the people. And, and God was merciful in that, by the way, because it's evident that people were going to break through or God wouldn't have sent Moses back down again. In fact, Moses argued with him. And Moses said, we already told him this. You don't have to worry about the people. And God says, I know the people. So let me tell you, Moses, get back down and tell them, don't come up. And, uh, and so he gave that charge. So now we get to number nine. I told you we'd kind of conclude it. Reasonable conclusions to make. So can we walk through this chapter? And let me just share with you some of the things. I know we've shared them, but I'm going to share them once again. And I hope you'll just be stirred. As a, a, a believer, if you're part of the family of God, that you'll be stirred about this truth, the truths we see. The first reasonable conclusion to make, and it's what Moses enjoyed, although we will never enjoy it quite like Moses did, until the day when Jesus comes again and we get to live with him and, and see him for all eternity. 
All right? But until that time, God does want us to commune with God. And Paul talked about that himself. He says, my desire, my focus in life, my purpose in life, what I'm living for is that I may know him. That's what I want in my life. And Moses enjoyed a communion with God that the children of Israel, by the way, weren't even given that opportunity to, to enjoy. But believers today are able to enjoy and commune with God in a very precious and special way. God's Holy Spirit dwells within and we can know God in an intimate way and God calls upon us to do that. And that would be one lesson I think we could take from Exodus chapter 19. So commune with God. Uh, second uh, truth and conclusion to make as we walk through the chapter. In verse 4, God reminded them of the things that he had done for them. And uh, so I and challenge you, if we're going to go with alliteration, count your blessings. Not only commune with God, but count your blessings. Or remember the gracious hand of God. You know, it's, it's so easy to forget what God has done, isn't it? It's, it's so easy to just kind of put things aside and, and, and God has been so good to us and yet sometimes we can forget those things and they, those things should be a motive to continually walk with God. And that's what he told them in verse 4. Hey, look, this is what I've done for you. Did you see it? And if you did, obey my voice. And so there's just this uh, challenge and a great conclusion for believers today. We need to just learn to count our blessings, constantly remember the gracious hand of God. And remember that God is daily loads us with benefits. Isn't that what the, the psalmist wrote? He daily, and I love the wording there, loadeth us with benefits. It isn't just that God, God daily gives us benefits. It's like God backs up the truck every day, you know, and he just opens the back and pours out the blessings. And we need to see that. As believers. And that should move us and, and push us and drive us to say, Lord, I want to obey your voice. You've been so good. So count your blessings or remember the gracious hand of God. Um, we just, again, we, we, we forget things and we ought not. Uh, the third thing, the third challenge that I, I want to give you or the, the reasonable conclusion. See, the challenge, I mean, we can come up with a lot of different alliterated words, uh, would be to commit yourself to obey. My friends, there is, there is no other response a Christian, a Christian can or, or should have to God than, Lord, I'm going to obey your voice. And as we brought out in the message last week, this challenge to obey God's voice is, is found throughout the Bible. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Does that sound familiar? Throughout scripture, we're just challenged about this. To, to be committed to and to live for holy to God. Commit yourself to obey him. Um, a church organization conducted a study it was a study about Christians' attitudes toward obedience, and it was an amazing thing. Uh, here's what was said. When it comes to obedience, a spiritually mature disciple of Christ has a loving motivation to obey God. The self-awareness to know they must be proactive to avoid bad decisions and the humility to confess sins that they commit. 
And so they did this survey, and here's what they found. 64% of church goers, growers, church growers, yeah. Are we, in, are we church growers now? Okay, church goers agree with this statement. A Christian must learn to deny himself, herself, in order to serve Christ. So 64% of church growers, church growers, church goers said that. Think about this. 64% of them said a Christian must learn to deny himself, herself, in order to serve Christ. D does anyone find that appalling? O only, I, I'm going to say only, 64% of church goers. <laughs> it is, goers. 64%. Are you kidding me? 19% disagreed with that statement. It's an amazing world of Christianity we live in. One explaining the results said this, obeying God is only easy when a person's own desires match God's. Until believers have the same mind as Christ, denying their natural desires will be hard, which is obvious, we understand that. The survey talked about confession of sins and asking God forgiveness as one of the components of obeying God. And here's what they found. When they asked how often, if they personally confessed sins and wrongdoings to God, asked for forgiveness, 39% said they did it every day. 27% said a few times a week. 8% said they rarely or never confess sins or wrongdoings to God. And we're talking about asking Christians what their thoughts are in regard to, here we are, a relationship with God. And isn't it, isn't it tragic how many... Christians are telling us, I don't think I need to live for God. And yet, when we come to this passage, we come to the rest of the Bible, we see God just pleading with his people, obey my voice, obey my voice, obey my voice. And, and our response should be immediately, not 19% saying no, 100% should be saying yes, that's what I should do. And that's what I will do. The fourth thought lesson we can take is contemplate your position in him look at verse six this is great here's what god said well let's go back to verse five then shall you be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people you see that in the middle of the verse for all the earth is mine and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation i'm going to stop right there does that sound like anything new testament to you Anyone? You say, where is it? Just take a moment and look at it. First Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2. So we are making no stretch to, to challenge you about this, to contemplate your position in him. Because in First Peter chapter 2, God says, it's, un, it's amazing the wording he uses here, but ye are, verse 9, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Does that sound anything like, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation? So what God asked for here in Exodus God has made his people 
and he calls upon them to come out of darkness and live in his marvelous light. And may we accept that challenge. Contemplate your position in him. Just think about, think of the, the perk. <laughs> okay, there we go. Of being part of the family of God, a holy nation, a peculiar people, having a privileged relationship with God that was made possible because Jesus came and Jesus died. And I hope you'll be stirred by that. And so then uh, the next thing would be to consecrate yourself. You see, the New Testament challenge is the same as the Old Testament call. All right, so we just read uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Um, and in verse 11 of that same chapter, in 1 Peter 2, he says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from flesh and lust which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, and submitting to ordinances of men, and doing, doing the will of God ultimately. So that's the call. Consecrate yourself to God. And Peter makes the same, almost the same appeal that God does in Exodus 19. But from the standpoint of now, Christ died for our sins. And as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. So consecrate yourself uh, to God. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord God, and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you and will be unto you, a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Isn't that it's precious? God speaks to us in almost the same terms he used with the children of Israel in Exodus 19 and say, here's what I want, here's what I want you to enjoy, and here's what I want, I want to enjoy you, and I want you to enjoy me. But that's only going to come when you consecrate yourself, when you separate yourself from sin, and when you make this decision, I am going to obey God's voice. And then we're going to conclude uh, with, the, with the final point because the rest of the chapter 19 reminds us of this. Just consider his greatness. Look, if for no other reason, but there are other reasons, but if for no other reason God is God and he deserves your devotion, he deserves your love, he is the great God of heaven and earth. You and I will never see a smoking mountain in the sense that God has come down upon it to meet. At least in this life, it's not going to happen. But we do have a Bible which gives us a picture of an awesomely holy God who has made us, who owns us, and who has the right to direct us and guide us and tell us what to do in life. And our responsibility, our responsibility is to see him as he is and to respond, okay, Lord, I will obey your voice. Exodus 19 was a challenge to the children of Israel. Make no mistake about it. But the call in that chapter is the same call that God would make for us today. It really is. Obey my voice. And I, I hope you'll be stirred to make that decision and to live it, not like the children of Israel did, but to live it. Because that is where you and I will enjoy just the closeness to God that we won't enjoy any other way. 
Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Don't ha normally have a come forward invitation on Sunday evening, and um, not gonna not gonna do that. Won't do that right now. But uh, I will say this: it, it is it would be foolish for us to come to a chapter like this and to see how in the rest of the Bible, in the New Testament for believers today, God calls upon us to do the same thing he called upon Israel to do and not at least ask God's people to make that same decision. So um, let me ask you to, to think about this and to seriously ponder it before I close in prayer. Will you obey God's voice? Will you have that kind of heart? Will you have that kind of mind? Will you have that kind of attitude? Um, if, if God's spoken to you about that, and tonight you would just be willing to say, you know, God spoke to me about that. I, I haven't been doing that. That, that would be the thing. And, and God spoke in my heart. And I, I want you to know, Pastor, that that's the desire of my heart. And uh, that's the prayer of my life. If you can say that, would you raise your hand? Would you do that? Wonderful. Amen. Thank you. Father, I thank you for this chapter, and I, I thank you for the awesome picture it gives us of you and of the great responsibility every human being has to obey the voice of God. And I pray that you that that as a people we would obey your voice and that as a church we would experience the wonderful blessing of a closeness to God because collectively as a body of Christ we're obeying the voice of God and then father that we might individually know the wonderful blessing of a closeness to you because we're obeying your voice in every way and I pray that you'd help those who haven't been walking that way to make the changes they need to and to take the steps they ought this week to obey your voice in every way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I can tell you this. The Lord will bless you if you'll obey his voice. You're dismissed.